Now, leading into Easter, we've been in the middle, or we've been in this great series called Last Words. We've been looking at some of the final things Jesus spoke from the cross. And I'm going to tell you, I have been absolutely amazed that these one-off sentences, right? These aren't deep sermons that he spent a lot of time crafting. These aren't parables and stories with all these twists and turns. These are one-sentence deals that have deep, lasting impact on our lives today. So in week one, Trent looked at when Jesus said, Father, forgive them. As they're putting him on the cross, as they're beating him, as they are killing him, Jesus cries out to God, Father, please forgive them. If that's me, I'm not asking for forgiveness. I'm asking for lightning to rain down from heaven to take care of everybody causing me pain and get me out of there. But Jesus' heart is such that he asked God to step into an impossible situation and forgive the people who were hurting him. And Trent gave us this great piece of truth that in that moment we were shown our greatest need is forgiveness. Not just our own forgiveness, but that we forgive others and that we pray for the forgiveness of others. And then last week, Tim walked us through when Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the importance of that simple cry to God. Because I think a lot of times we forget that God suffered through this as well. Jesus suffered on the cross, but God still in heaven lost his son, lost a loved one and understands what that means and didn't just lose him to death, but they were separated for the first time in all of eternity because as Jesus hung on that cross, he carried the weight of every sin ever committed, every sin to be committed And God can't be in the presence of sin. And in that moment, Jesus, who had lived a perfect, sinless life, was separated from his father and endured untold suffering, things we can't imagine. And because of that, we serve a God who understands our suffering because he has suffered. And our suffering is personal to him because of that. And how amazing is it to know that when we go through rough times in our lives, things that we don't understand how we're going to get through. We know we serve a God who understands what we are dealing with and walks through it with us. Now, this week, as we dig into week three, we're going to look at a phrase that Jesus spoke. And more than that, we're going to look at the story that kind of surrounds that and the people that are surrounding Jesus in that moment. And we're going to answer, hopefully, a very important question that every single person in this room, every single person ever needs to answer at some point in their lives. Maybe you've already asked yourself this question, you've answered it. Maybe you're still struggling with the answer. Maybe you haven't even stepped into asking yourself this question yet. And it's this, how do I spend eternity with God? What do I need to do? How good do I need to be? What needs to happen while I'm on earth to get to spend eternity with God? The Bible is very clear that there is a very real place called heaven and a very real place called hell, where we will either spend all of eternity in God's presence or be separated from him. What does it take that we are sure deep inside of us, in our core, that our eternity gets spent in the presence of God and not separated from him? So that's what we're looking at this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the back. 
If you don't have a Bible at home, please take one home with you. We think there's nothing more important that you're able to read God's word on your own and let God speak to you through the scriptures. You can use a smartphone or a tablet. We'll put the scriptures up onto the screen. Hopefully I've babbled enough that you've kind of found your way to Luke 23 at this point. And what we're looking at here is Jesus is being, as we begin in verse 32, led to where they're going to be crucified, and he's not alone. And the two people with him are central to what we're looking at today. So in Luke 23, beginning in verse 32, we read two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. So we've got these two newcomers to the story, and we don't have a lot of details about them, but we have just enough to be able to unpack what's going on here and help it to, or have it help us answer this question. So we don't know exactly the charges that were brought up against them. Luke here calls them criminals. Matthew calls them revolutionaries. Mark calls them thieves. We don't know exactly what they were charged with. We know they were convicted. Whatever they did was bad enough to give them a death sentence, and not just any death sentence. It's important to know that this isn't the only way Romans decided to kill people if they'd done something wrong. This was an extremely public, humiliating, painful way to die, to make an example. So whatever these guys had done, it was public enough and bad enough that the Romans wanted to make sure that everybody who walked by said, oh, I knew those guys. I knew what they did. I never want to be caught doing that. So these are not great guys, okay? And as we enter the crucifixion, they throw in with the rest of the crowd, right? Everybody is mocking and insulting Jesus. The Roman soldiers who crucified him mock him through the entire process. The Roman leaders are doing their best to tear him down so he doesn't die a martyr. So they are constantly throwing out insults and saying, look, you said you were God. You said you were the Messiah. Why in the world aren't you doing anything about this? And both of the criminals, as we begin the process, are doing the exact same thing. They figure we might as well make sure all the spotlight's on this guy. Let's take as little humiliation for ourselves as we can. So they throw in with the rest of the crowd. And then at some point, as they hang on that cross and they watch Jesus in this terrible, terrible moment in his life, one of the criminals sees something different. And what he sees makes him change his story. So in Luke 23, beginning in verse 39, we read, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffs and says, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So he is still mocking Jesus. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So this guy realizes, all right, I've screwed up. I deserve what I'm getting. But the other man next to me, he's innocent. And whatever he has, whatever he has going for him, I need that in this moment. So somehow he looked at his life and the bad things that he has done and realized he needs somebody to step into his situation so that he can have whatever it is that Jesus has. Now, none of us like to explore the depths of our dark sides, right? None of us like to look at our past and the things that we've done wrong and recognize that maybe we haven't done everything perfectly. Maybe there's been something that we've left off, something that we've done wrong, some little lie, some little stretching of the truth. But if we're very honest with ourselves, none of us are perfect, right? 
All right, parents, you take notes on how to get your kids to eat vegetables? All of us at some point in our lives have done something like that, maybe not quite that detailed, uh, but something like that, right? We have stretched the truth. We've told a little white lie. I tell you what, let's do audience participation because you guys love that. Um, Raise of hands. How many of us have ever told any sort of lie at all in any of our point in our lives? A little white lie, you withheld truth, you stretch it to save somebody's feelings. All right, thank you. Uh, those of you who didn't raise your hand, see me after church. I've got to talk to you guys. Um, just about all of us have some point in our lives not been 100% honest and truthful about something. If we lie, what does that make us in that moment? A liar. Yeah, okay. So we're going we're gonna to do a little group therapy here. Let's all say it together. We are liars. Okay. Does that feel good and cathartic? Kind of get that off your chest? Don't worry. If that wasn't for you, I'm going to keep going. Um, We're going to get a little bit deeper here. How many of us at any point in our lives have stolen something, a candy bar? We've pocketed incorrect change. We've downloaded a song or a TV show or something that we didn't actually have access to anything. There we go. Okay. I knew I'd get a few of you with that last one. If we steal something, what does that make us? A thief. Yes, that one's a little bit harder to say. It kind of leaves something in the back of the throat. I don't like that one. All right, so we lie, we steal. Here's a good one. How many of us ever have ever put anything in front of God? We've said, this is more important to me. I'm going to choose to do it my way and not God's way. I feel like work, family, my, what I want to have is more important than God. I think if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us at some point in time, has chosen something instead of God. When we do that, it makes us an idolater. That's a fancy word for saying that we have something in front of us, something more important than God. It's an idol to us. So in the last 45 seconds, I think we've shown that at least most of us in here are lying, thieving idolaters. Welcome to Epic Church. We are excited to have you guys here this morning. I really hope you'll come back next week. I won't be up here, so... Um, yeah. (laughs) The point is this. We all have something in our past that's not quite right, that's broken, that separates us from God. We all sin. I was a really good kid growing up, and I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that to pat my parents on the back. They rose me really well, And when I say really good kid, um, let me see if I can clear that up a little bit. I was raised in a church. My parents were saved when I was very young. My mom when I was born. My dad just a few years later. And I was raised in a very conservative, strict church background. And so when you did something wrong, you didn't just hear about it from your parents. You heard about it from just about every adult in the building. Everybody knew what was going on. And just about everything you could do could probably be figured out to be wrong in some way or another. And so I wasn't just a kid who kind of stayed away from trouble. I was that kid who actively looked for ways to stay away from trouble. I was that kid who moms went, well, how come you can't be more like Evan, right? The one that nobody wanted to be around or their parents to know. I was that kid who went to Bible camp and won all the Bible awards. I was the kid who enjoyed Sunday school class on Sunday mornings and knew all the answers and always had my hand in the air. 
I was the kid that went to leadership conferences, the kid who went to leadership camps, the kid who joined worship teams by the time I was 14 years old. I was leading music at eight years old. I was that kid. Oh, thanks. (laughs) At 15, I went on a missions trip to Venezuela. And what we did is we took this street ministry, this skit that we put together, and it was a pantomime done to music. So the music was in Spanish, the skit was uh, universal, and what you did is, is basically the story took you from creation to sin entering the world to Jesus showing up on the scene to God stepping into Jesus' situation, raising him from the dead. So it's basically the entire gospel story in about four and a half minutes done by these crazy Americans in face paint on a sidewalk in Venezuela. And it was great. We went to Miami and trained there for a couple of days before we actually went down to Venezuela. And I wasn't picked to play Jesus. But you know what? I was okay with that because I was a kind of a scrawny, small kid. And the guy they picked was a few years older than me, kind of broad-shouldered, big kind of guy who you kind of had in your mind is, okay, that could be Jesus. I wasn't picked as God because I didn't have a beard. That went to one of the guys who was chaperoning the trip. He had the big white beard and kind of looked the part. But then I wasn't picked to be one of Jesus' followers. And I wasn't picked to be one in the crowd. And I wasn't picked to be Adam at the beginning. I was picked to be one of the soldiers that nailed Jesus to the cross. And let me tell you, for the two and a half days or so that we trained in Miami, I fought that part the entire time. Because I very honestly believed somewhere inside of me that I was not the reason Jesus died. Because I was a good kid. I was saved by the time I was eight years old. I was leading Bible classes. I was leading studies. I was helping other people figure the God thing out. I didn't have any part in this. So why in the world am I playing this part? Then we got to Venezuela, and we did the skit. And the second time we did the skit, I almost didn't get through it. God wrecked me. He made me realize that it didn't matter what I thought about the life I had led. It didn't matter what I thought about whether or not I had sinned, whether or not what I had done was bad enough to merit being taken care of by God, that just by being human, I was born into a sinful nature, and because of that, I was separated from God. And there was nothing I could do about that. Romans 3.23 took on a whole new meaning for me while I was in Venezuela. Everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. The situation is this. God is perfect, completely without sin. He is holy. For us to be in his presence forever, we have to somehow match that standard. Because God can't be in the presence of sin, just by his very nature. And we, on our own, will never reach that standard. And what I learned in Venezuela, what this criminal learns on the cross is that we need somebody else to step in for us. Because on our own, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. So on our own, we're done for. Death and a permanent separation from God is what waits for us. We need a savior to step in and make our relationship right with God. And how that happens is very clear. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and show up at church every Sunday at 9 a.m. and give 15, no, no, right? Has nothing to do with what we do. If we declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And man, that seems way too simple to be true. But we get to see it happen on the cross. If we go back to Luke and we look at exactly what this thief said, this criminal said while he's on the cross, we get to see him actually walk through this. So he says in verse 40, don't you fear God? He's talking to the other criminal. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? So the other criminal is insulting Jesus. But this guy recognizes, oh, wait a minute, you're insulting Jesus, but in that you're insulting God. So he makes that connection. Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. This is the son of God. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. He's innocent, completely innocent. He's done nothing. He has lived a sinless life. And then he says, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So this criminal, this guy who has lived most likely a very terrible life and done some pretty terrible things to be in the place that he is, makes the connection that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. He is the son of God. And he recognizes that Jesus' story doesn't end on this cross. That after this, he goes on to something better. There's a kingdom waiting for him that Jesus is going to rule over. And he verbalizes that and then asks God to step in because here's the deal. He can't do anything else at this moment to make it happen for himself. This is a dying man, unable to get himself down. He can't try and make done what he's, or make right what he's done wrong. He can't make up for his sins in any way at all. He can't go through any religious ceremonies. He can't join a church. He can't try to repay his debt to society. He can't go ask anybody for forgiveness. The only thing that he can do is trust that Jesus is who he says he is and put his faith in him. And the coolest part is that's enough. That's all he needs to do because we see Jesus respond to his request with the most grace-filled words anyone who is dying and condemned can hope to hear. Jesus looks at him and says in verse 43, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. There is no question at all what happens here, right? This is the best part of the entire thing, that that criminal salvation, our salvation, It isn't dependent on anything that we do aside from believing in Jesus and accepting God's gift of salvation. Now, here's the hard part. Our salvation isn't dependent on anything that we can do aside from believing in Jesus and accepting God's free gift of salvation. And we have a really hard time with that. Romans 6.23 We read just the beginning of it a minute ago. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Now, we have a really hard time with the idea of free gifts. And I think there are two reasons why. The first is this. We have been programmed to believe there is no such thing as a free gift. Right? There is no free car. There is no free vacation. There is no free meal. Everything comes with some sort of expectation or string attached or price or fine print where we're expected to do something about it. And so we have a hard time believing that there is such a thing as a free gift. It boggles our mind that salvation is free for us and that we don't do anything to earn it. All we can do is believe in Jesus. The second thing is that we are prideful people. We want to work for what we have. Right? We may not love the hard work, but we like the fact that we worked hard for our car and our house and the clothes on our back and the food on our table and the place that we have at work. And the main reason is that we don't want to be indebted to anybody. We don't want anybody to hand us something for free because we know at some point down the road, they're going to come back and say, hey, remember when I gave you that thing? Well, I'm ready to cash in now and I'm ready for that favor. I'm ready for you to help me out. I'm ready for whatever. And God doesn't work that way. But the final truth of the matter is this. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There is no thing we can do that is good enough to earn our salvation. There is no amount of good things that we can do to earn our salvation. The things that we do that are good, we do because God is in us and we are saved, not in order to be saved. And there is so much security in the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise because it takes that weight off of you and me. I am so blessed to know that my salvation isn't dependent on what I do, the order that I do it and the way that I do it because I'd find a way to screw it up. I would find a way to get it wrong. I would miss the fifth paragraph, third sentence 20th word that said, hey, you have to do this in order to earn your way into heaven. It's not the way it works. My salvation isn't dependent on anything from me other than my faith in Jesus and the acceptance of that free gift of salvation. So today, every single one of us needs to ask ourselves the question, am I right with God? Do I have a right relationship with my creator? And if you aren't in a right relationship with God, if you haven't taken the opportunity or been given the opportunity to make your relationship right with God, I want to do that with you this morning. I want to make sure you don't walk out of here without the chance to accept what God wants to be able to give you. Romans 10.10, 10, it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. There are three pieces to that belief. What we believe in our heart is that we are sinners in need of a savior. Every single one of us has done something wrong at some point in our lives and that sin separates us from God and we need a savior to take care of it for us. The second is that Jesus is that savior. He is the one person who can take care of it. He said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
Now, in 2016, it's very unpopular to tell anybody that there's one thing to do anything at all, right? There is only one way, and I'm okay being politically incorrect about this. There is one way to God, and it is through Jesus, our Lord. The third thing is that Jesus died and was raised again so that we could live. He made that sacrifice. He gave himself up so that we would not have to die an eternal separation from God. Those are the three things that we have to believe in our hearts in order to accept God's gift of salvation. Now this morning, if you understand that and you believe that and you want to accept God's gift, I wanna lead you in a prayer that helps you verbalize that. And that's all it is, is it's just a help. Right? There is no magic secret formula in the words I'm about to give you. There's not, if you get the second sentence mixed up with the first sentence, you're not going to make it. That's not the way this works. All this is, is a model prayer to help us voice the decisions that we're making in our heart. And the prayer goes like this, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that Jesus is that savior and that he died so that I can live. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. And that's all there is to it. It all happens inside of us, and this just helps us verbalize the decision that we're making. So this morning, if you're making that decision for the first time, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray it quietly to God and accept the gift that he has for you. Let's pray. God, I am in need of a savior. I believe Jesus is that savior and he died so that I can live. I commit to following you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the very first time today, I want to encourage you to tell somebody about it. There is nothing better than getting to tell somebody that God stepped into your story and changed it. And I also want you to check out our baptism next week. So you can grab some information from the Connection Center or online at our website, but go check out baptism because it's a way for us to celebrate with you the decision that you made today. And we wanna be able to do that. So go check that out. Now the worship team's gonna come out. We're gonna sing one final song together. And the song is called Last Word. And here's the coolest part about all of this. I said this before, is that our salvation is not dependent on us. God holds our salvation in his hand. And Jesus speaks the final word about our stories. When we put our trust and our faith in him, then we can believe and be completely secure that no matter what, we get to spend eternity in the presence of our great God. And there is something absolutely amazing about that idea. So let's pray together and then we'll sing this song and let's really latch onto that idea that Jesus is the final word in our salvation and not ourselves. God, thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to hear from you. Lord, that in a moment of pain and agony and suffering, Jesus reached out and offered eternal hope to somebody who really didn't deserve it. None of us deserve it, but you love us so much that it doesn't matter. And Lord God, in our lives this morning, I pray that we would truly believe that you have the last word when it comes to our story. You have the final say in what happens to us and we just need to throw in with you, to put our faith in you, to believe in you and to trust that you are going to be exactly who you say that you are. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and sing this song together. Well, good morning. Let's just give a round of applause and thanks for our worship team. They're just awesome. They serve every week. We have a guest worship leader this week, so just grateful for their service. Well, my name is Carla. I'm just going to tell you a few things that are going on here at Epic before we get into our message. If you're a new guest with us, we're so glad that you've joined us this morning. And if you have any questions, feel free to stop by our Connection Center on your way out. We would love to meet you and answer any questions you have. Well, next week is Easter. Can you believe it? It just snuck up on us this year, and we are planning an awesome service. And we wanted to give you guys the opportunity to invite your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, that person that you run into the grocery store every week. So we have cards on your seat. Feel free to grab some, take them with you, and hand them out, and invite someone to join us next week. It's going to be a great service, and we would love to see everyone here. One of my favorite things that we do at Epic on Easter is we have a baptism. And I can't imagine a better day to just publicly profess your faith in Christ through baptism than on Easter Sunday. So if you have made the decision to walk in a relationship with Christ, but you haven't yet taken that step to be baptized, I want to encourage you to sign up online and make that decision Um, It's just going to be an incredible opportunity. So there is a card on your seat with more information. You can go online and sign up. And for the rest of us, feel free to join next Sunday afternoon. And um, it's going to be at Flagler Beach. It's an awesome thing. And it's just an amazing thing to, to see people making that next step. On April 16th, we have our 3G Saturday event. That's where we gather, we go, and we give to show our community that we are for them and God is for them. It's a great opportunity to serve Flagler County. So if you can pick up trash, there is a project for you. If you can hammer or just serve and love on other people, then there is a project for you. We are doing nine projects throughout the community. We need 140 volunteers. So there is a sheet of paper with information on your seat, and you can sign up online. Sign up start today. And project space is limited, so if there's one that grabs you, sign up. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on April 16th. Well, just as God wants us to give of our time and our talents, he wants us to give of our resources too. So if you call Epic Home and you want to support what we're doing in the community to, make, uh, to share the life-changing, excuse me, to share the story of Christ and, and make a difference in our community, um, you can do so today with the giving boxes behind each of the seating sections or online at theepicchurch.com. Well, that's all I have to share with you this morning. Feel free to check out this message and enjoy the rest of service.